uh, turn to Mark chapter 10. And uh, if you're reaching for a blue Bible in front of you somewhere, it's going to be about page 719, somewhere in that uh, ballpark. Uh, You'll be able to find uh, Mark chapter 10. Uh, We are going to jump into week number two in our series titled uh, Parenthood. Now, um, I received a little uh, chastisement from my children who are like, Dad, we're not parents. We're in high school. We're in middle school. And this really doesn't apply to us so you know, why come, basically? They weren't really asking why come, but they were just, you know, kind of saying, what's the point? And what I want to encourage you is, it, it really doesn't matter where you are in life. If you're a parent, obviously this is very, you know, straight to you, but if, if you're not a parent, or if you're, you know, never want to become a parent, or you're not even thinking about kids, um, these are, are true principles in life. These are things in all relationships. It doesn't matter, really, if it's a, a parent-child relationship, a, a a child-parent relationship, friendships, employees, stuff like that. This is just something that that we can apply. These are principles that that we're going to talk about today that just just apply to every relationship. And we're going to look at it through the lens of parenting. But I encourage you, even if you're not a parent, to look at how this applies to your context and your life and and how this can be applicable to you. Um, For instance, last week, We talked about the fact that the most important thing as a parent that you can do, and really it's the most important thing any of us could do, is to learn to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And that's kind of important to all of us, right? That's what God would have us to do. And so it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not, um, you need to be able to do that. That's what God desires for us. And today we're going to look at a couple of unchanging principles um, that don't change. Because in relationships, oftentimes things do change, don't they? And we're going to look at parenting. For instance, as a parent, whenever you have child number one and you give your child the pacifier, right, to keep them calm, to whatever, if that pacifier falls out of that precious baby's mouth and goes to the floor, what do you do with baby number one? Well, you pick it up. You don't drop it. But if you do, if you do drop it, what do you do? Well, you instantly boil water, right? And you sterilize it, and then you cool it and make sure it's all good before you put it back in the baby's mouth. Or maybe, I know some families who their philosophy was if it hits the ground, it's done. And they just break another new one out of the package, and away they go, right? Baby number two, you pick it up, and you make sure it's clean, you know, rub it off. Baby number three, you just kind of look at it and go, eh, they're good, right? And the more children you have, the, you're like, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll survive, right? Our philosophy in parenting and those types of things, well, they, they change. But today we're going to look at some things that, that don't change. Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 13, it says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. We're going to look at a few things from this story that I want to suggest are some unchanging principles. The first one is this, and I'd like you to follow along in your bulletin and write these down. Uh, The first one is loving touch. And what I mean by that... A loving touch is an appropriate loving touch that, that communicates a rich sense of unconditional love and acceptance. Verse 13 again says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. And that may seem a little weird, but we still do it in our society and culture today, don't we? Around celebrities, a lot of times around politicians, what do you know, parents want them to do here? Hold my child, right? Touch my, kiss my, 
all these things. We, we want our children uh, to be blessed. And, and why? Well, in Jesus, especially with Jesus, not only did Jesus have power, but I think it demonstrates how we view touch and how we view the power of touch. The word touch here is a Greek word that, that literally means to attach oneself. It means to embrace. And so when Jesus you know, touched the children and those types, whenever this was happening, it, oftentimes we kind of picture this, and we, we don't know because they didn't illustrate, unless you have the children's illustrated version. But I kind of envisioned Jesus, you know, sitting on a rock, and the kids are just coming up all around him, and they're jumping in his lap and, you know, hanging on his neck and doing these things. And, and, and Jesus just was, was being very uh, appropriate toward them, this loving touch, this interaction. Uh, he was giving them words of encouragement. It was very, very relational what was happening. And, and why is that important? Well, uh, I illustrate that by sharing this story. There was a, a very um, weird king, I, I would have to say, by the name of King Frederick II. And he was curious to know what language a child would speak if they were never spoken to. What would be their like, you know, natural, native language? And so what he did was he, he did this experiment. He had several babies brought into his laboratory, and he had women who agreed to take care of these little infants, but the rule was they were not allowed to ever speak or show affection to the child. They could feed the child, they could change the diaper, but they were not allowed to show affection or emotion. The experiment failed, and the reason it failed was because all the babies within a year of their birth, they all died. And to me, that's, that's heartbreaking and that's sad. But why did they die? It wasn't because they were lacking physical nourishment. A lot of people, as they've read this and looked through this, they argue it was because they were lacking emotional and relational nourishment. They had what they needed, as in food, but they didn't have what they truly needed, which was that appropriate touch for them. Now, I know in a crowd this size, we have a couple of different types of people, and some of you that are kind of in the middle here. We have the touchy-feely people who, you know who you are. One of the most things that you look forward to the most on Sunday morning is the meet-and-greet time, because you get to go see people and hug them and be around them. And then you're the other people that are just like, you know what, I, that's, I hate that, and you've learned, if I show up at 10 after, I miss that, and I don't have to be a part of that, Right? <laughs> Either that or you're just perpetually late. It's just kind of, I don't know, whichever camp you fall into. But, but we all kind of fall in there somewhere. And sometimes we're just a, a mix of that in, in different, different ways. Um, here's the thing. When it comes to your children, parents, they need that appropriate physical touch. They, they need you to do that for them. They need that emotional and relational nourish, nourishment. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I... I'm just not that type of person. I'm just not affectionate with my kids. And when I hear that, I, I challenge them. And I, and I challenge you. If that's you, you need to be. And if you're not, you need to learn to be. It's something you really just need to be because it's important to your children. They need that touch in their life. And I wish I could just turn my kids' ears off for a few minutes because I'm going to reveal a few secrets that if they learn these things, they may view things differently from this point forward. But... Here we go anyway. My, my wife and I have this rule that when our, when our kids hug us, we hug until they let go. You know what I'm talking about? Your parents, you, you kind of know? Because there's different types of hugs that you get from your children. And, and, and you know this. Sometimes it's the okay hug or I got to go hug, you know, that, that quick little thing. Other times you get the good to see you hug. And then sometimes you get that 
I really need to feel loved hugged, right? And parents, you can tell a lot about how your child is doing based on their hugs. If you'll just slow down enough to notice. And if your child isn't hugging you, it says a little bit about what's going on in your relationship with each other. And I get it, some kids are more huggy than I, I know, but there's just something to be said about that. There, there's been a lot of research that shows time and time again that, that young ladies, as they're growing and in their preteens and, and teen years, that their need for loving and appropriate touch, it increases. And as a dad of daughters, and as I've talked to other dads, it's when their need increases that our level of comfort sometimes decreases. It's not that we love our daughters less, it's just, yeah, I mean, they're teenagers now, and, and, and we, we have to kind of get over that. We've got to just kind of, you know, burst through those, those barriers and that, that uncomfortableness that, that you might feel. Because what they need more than anything is for their father to demonstrate to them what a loving, appropriate touch is like. So that they'll be able to receive that. So whenever they get into a situation where maybe it's an inappropriate love or touch, they'll be able to say no and they'll be able to, to walk away from that. They'll be able to tell the difference. And here's what I found interesting. Research has shown that while we, you know, think about that for girls, the same is true for boys. Think about it. You know, little boys, two, three, four, what do they want to do? They want to hug on their mom all the time, right? Climb up in her lap and be around them. But whenever they hit that magical age, 10, 11, 12, suddenly, not cool, mom. Not cool at all. Don't hug, especially in public. They're like, you know, no, I'm cool. I don't need my mom, right? And they kind of, but they do. And so you have to be creative, uh, especially you know, as, a, as a father of sons. You're kind of like, you gotta, you got to do this because they still need that. And so you, you do different things, you know, special handshake or tussle of the hair or, or you wrestle, you do something else with your son. But they need that type of appropriate physical touch as well. They just do. I, I need to, again, turn off my kids' ears for a minute, but I need to confess something to you. I, I, I've, uh, God's really been working on me with this in a big way over the past several months. Uh, whenever I come through the door after, you know, being at the office and, and come home, usually I have a backpack with my stuff in it, my coffee mug, my phone, sunglasses, a couple other things. You kind of walk through the door, you know, like a nomad carrying everything in, right? And what was happening and what happens is my children, typically when they hear me come through the door, they come and greet me. And I found myself going, would you just give me a second would you just let me put my stuff down first? And I was getting irritated at them for coming and wanting to hug me. Well, God began speaking to me, and he did so through the uh, gentle and loving words of my wife. <laughs> and now I'm in, trying to get into the habit of just leaving all that junk in the truck, going in, seeing everybody, saying hi, giving hugs, talking and doing those things, and then a little later slipping back out, grabbing that stuff, bringing it in. Because I am really blessed to have kids that want to give me a hug when I get home. And I need to not let those opportunities pass me by because before long, they're going to be grown, they're going to be gone, and those opportunities will be gone. Loving touch is an important thing that we need to take note of and, and we need to, to practice, and it's a principle that never changes. It doesn't matter how old your children are. It doesn't matter what type of relationship we need that. Second unchanging principle, and I invite you to write this down, is abundant time. The question has often been asked, how do children spell love? Well, 
T-I-M-E, right? That's how they spell it. We talked a couple months ago about um, how what children want more than anything is for their parents not to be so stressed out, not to be so you know, chaotic all the time. They, they want their parents to be able to relax and enjoy being with them so that whenever they do spend that love, whenever they do spend that time, it can be an enjoyable experience. Look again at the text, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. In other words, the disciples were telling the people, hey, would you stop it? Jesus is way too busy for these children. He's got people to heal. He's got water to walk on. He's got bread to multiply. He's got all this other stuff to do. Keep those snotty-nosed brats away from him, will you? And what was Jesus' response? Jesus, in verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. What I like about this word indignant is it's really a strong word. And we like to translate it as he was greatly or much displeased. He was ticked off, you know. He was, he was really angry at the disciples because he was, he was saying, let the children come to me. Some of your versions of the Bible say, forbid them not or forbade them not. How many of you in here are NASCAR fans? It's okay, this is a judgment-free zone. You can be a NASCAR, uh, a few of you, okay. How many of you have ever just watched it on TV? Hopefully get a few more. There you go. You're closet fans, you just don't want to admit it. I have to admit, you know, be a little transparent, I'm kind of a NASCAR fan. The reason I am is because nothing, I have found nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing else that can get me to take a nap faster than turn left, go straight, turn left, go straight, right? That's grand. It's a glorious thing. Um, There's a couple things that I really like about NASCAR. One are the wrecks. Now, granted, they're, you know, spectacular wrecks, and most of the time nobody gets hurt. Obviously, we we don't want anybody to get hurt. But the other thing that I think is fascinating about NASCAR are the pit stops. And Michelle just shakes her head at me when I want to watch, you know, all the, you know, the, the pit stops. Because these seven people jump over the edge of this wall, right? And they all are busy, frantically doing things. And in, in 12 to 15 seconds, they've changed the tires, they've filled the tank, they've checked the oil, they've cleaned the windshield, they've given a shout-out to their sponsors, they've provided a three-course meal for their driver, they drop the jack, and off they go, right? It is amazing, everything they do in those 12 to 15 seconds. And the reason I bring that up is because I would argue that oftentimes parents are guilty of doing pit-stop parenting. We parent in 12 to 15 second bursts. Think about it. Uh, think about it like this. Our interactions with our kids oftentimes are, how was your day today? Fine. Great. And off we go. Did you do your homework? Yeah. Okay, great. And we're done. Did you take a shower? Do I need to take a shower? You're a middle school boy. You need to take a shower. Take a shower. Right? Okay. Good night. Love you. Uh, you know, uh, be kind to people tomorrow. Remember your manners and no texting after 11 p.m. Good night, right? Those are our interactions with our kids. It, it's, it's pit stop parenting. Maybe for you, it's like this. You come home from working all day and your kids have an activity to go to and they're standing waiting on you, you know, because you're running late because traffic was awful and they're jumping in the car and they get in the car and you're speeding down the road and they're like, I'm hungry, what's for dinner? And you're like, I don't know, find a fry underneath the seat or something. We're late, we got to get there right? And I know that may be an exaggeration, but maybe it's not. According to one article, the average dad spends 37 seconds a day engaged in meaningful conversation with his children. That's less than the play clock for one play in an NFL football game. 
The real world is this. You work and you work hard. And in a lot of families, both parents are working. You work and you put in long hours and you just feel like you don't have time. And it's a real challenge. There's no doubt about it. And then you throw into the mix, you've got single parents. And I've got to tell you, single parents, I really don't know how you do it. I, I do not have a clue how you work a job, sometimes two jobs, and you get your kids to school and you make sure that they have on clothes and their clothes are on the right way when they get to school. You, you provide for them. You do everything with oftentimes no in-the-trenches or emotional support from someone else. I, I don't know how you do it. But here's the thing. If you're not careful, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance, you'll come up with one excuse or another to say, I really don't have time to spend with my kids. I really don't have time to invest in my kids. For me, it could be, uh, my excuse could be, well, you know, I've got five kids, I've got a grandkid, and I've got a church full of really needy people, so I really don't have time, right? What's your excuse? I'm sure it's a good one. I'm sure you've thought it through. You may even put it on your list of things. If only this would change, then what's your excuse? I, I've been trying to, uh, to get through this in my own brain, all right? Oftentimes, I will say, I didn't have time to, and honestly, that's a lie. I chose not to have time to. And I would challenge you with that as well. It's not that you didn't have time, it's that you didn't choose to have time. Because honestly, I choose to have time to surf the web. I choose to have time to make sure my fantasy football lineup is ready to go. I choose to have time to, do I choose to make time for my kids? Do I choose to make time for those important, significant relationships in my life, regardless of who they are? We're really good at making excuses. But if we don't choose to make time for those relationships that matter most, and in context today, if we don't choose to make time for our children, it won't just happen. You're going to have to make a choice. And it's hard to really justify not spending time with your kids whenever you look at it in light of the bigger picture. James says in James chapter 4, verse 14, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It is so short. And if you're a parent of teenagers or a parent of kids that have left the house, you realize how short that short really is. We're going to have to choose to spend that little while wisely by investing in our children. The third principle I want to suggest today is encouraging talk. Look at what Jesus did in verse 16. It says, And he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them, and blessed them. I have often wondered, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say to those children? I think that would be great commentary, so we would know as parents what we should say to kids as well, to our children. We don't know exactly, but we can probably, from what's happening here, guess that that Jesus wasn't saying such things as, hey, 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 stop that. Stop that right now. Stop touching your sister. Don't make me count to three. Don't make me stop this car. I will do it. You know I will, right? Now, I, I, I get it that there's a time for discipline, and we're going to actually talk about that next week. But what we know here is that Jesus blessed them. He encouraged them. One of the most important things we can do for our children, one of the most important things we can do in relationships is we can speak words of life rather than words of death. We need to watch the words that we speak to people. Do you realize in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, that God himself demonstrated for us 
how to do this and how to speak encouraging words. Jesus had just been baptized by John in the river, and he comes out, and, and this is what the text says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Think about that for a moment. God is bragging on his son. How cool is that? You see, as parents, we need to brag on our kids as well. We need to brag on our kids, not just when they do it right, not just when they walk the dog and clean their room and make their bed and do the dishes and take care of their chores and do their homework and get an A, not just then, that's good, but we also need to brag on our kids when they don't do those things. We need to brag on our kids when they mess up. We need to brag on their kids when they break the rules. We need to brag on our kids because they need to understand that the love you have for them is unconditional. It's not based on them getting it all right. It's based on them being all right. It's based on who they are. I spoke with a guy a couple of weeks ago that shared with me he could count on one hand the number of times his parents told him he loved, he was loved, that they loved him. And that was heartbreaking to me as I listened to this guy's story and, and how that's affected his life. Parents, we have but one opportunity, one go-round in this to raise our children. And I hear it often. Yeah, when this is done, then things will be better. When this happens, yeah, I, I know. But that never happens because there's always something else. There's always another project. There's always the next thing and then. It's a choice we have to make. And here's what it boils down to for me. I can remember in great detail, and a lot more detail than I will bore you with this morning, the birth of our children, okay? I, I can remember how, <sighs> when Kel was born, they, they took him immediately, and they took him and put him on this table, and the doctors and nurses and people came out of the woodwork, and they were working on him frantically, and what seemed like eternity <laughs> before he breathed and then cried. We thought we were going to have to say goodbye before we even said hello. I can remember how when it was time for Caitlin to be born, we had to drive an hour and a half up the turnpike from Tulsa to Joplin because that's where our insurance would cover. And on the way up, the contractions got to three and a half minutes apart. We drove a little faster. I had my shoelace, the sterilized shoelace that if the baby was born, I was taught you tie off the cord and then get here as fast as you can. I, those things were going through my head. I remember that when Caitlin was born, the doctor was holding her. He handed me the scissors, and I cut the cord. It was the only one of my children that I had that opportunity to do that. That was uh, pretty amazing. I remember how when Carissa was born, and they handed her to me, this overwhelming sense of, uh-oh, <laughs> right? This is a little one that I'm responsible for. I, I have to take care of this one. She's dependent upon me for everything. And it was that that responsibility and, and that, that honor and that, that whole thing that just made life really change. I, I remember that when I married Michelle, I vowed to Josh and Tanya that I would love them as my own, that they were now mine. They were part of my family, and I would treat them like they were my own, my own flesh and blood. I can remember those days like they were yesterday. I can remember the first day Josh called me dad. I can remember how when I was holding the little infants that their, their head fit in the palm of my hand, right? And their butt was right here in the crack of, you know, the fold of my elbow. And I just hold them around like a football. They weighed nothing, right? And now? Well, Kale's 11. 
He's a middle school boy. He smells like a middle school boy. I thought he smelled bad when he was a baby. Oh, no, this is worse, right? He thinks he's funny, and most of the time he is funny. If you've got an you know, 11-year-old boy, you know what I'm talking about. Everything's funny to them, and they share it with us, right? It's a load of fun. Caitlin's 14. Caitlin was our child that, that was the most compliant as a baby. You put the pacifier in her mouth, laid her down, she was good. No, no muss, no fuss, no nothing. She was just good. Now we can't hardly keep her quiet. Love you, but she's singing all the time and, you know, you know all this stuff. And just, she's just, she's 14. Carissa's almost 17. And uh, she's starting to butt heads with her mother as those things happen. If you've got a you know, parent of a teenage daughter and trying to learn to be independent and still dependent and all these things and, and, and how that works. Uh, Tanya's off doing her own thing and, and there's a whole other story there. Josh, he's married himself with a child. And suddenly, I've become a lot smarter to him. Some of the things that I did as a parent make a lot more sense to him now that he's a parent. So, you know, I've become really wise in the last two years, according to him. Parents, the reason I share that is this. You know that the time goes so, so very fast. What seems to be in the blink of an eye, your children are gone. Or they're almost gone. Suddenly, you're, you're putting them on the bus for the first time to go to school. You're giving them the keys to your car and saying, come back, please, right? You're sending them off to college. You're walking them down the aisle. Take a moment and just think about what God's Word says to us from the standpoint of relationships. If you have children, apply this to how you're parenting. If you don't have children, look at your relationships, maybe with your mom or, or your dad, or maybe with your brothers or sisters, the people you work with, and ask yourself these questions real quick. Am I treating those people with appropriate touch? Am I loving them that way? Am I spending adequate time with them? Am I investing my life into them? Am I building them up rather than tearing them down? You see, relationships are important. Because if you don't try to make it right with your kids or with relationships, there's going to come a day at some point that you're no, you will no longer have that opportunity. You will no longer have the opportunity to invest and to love and, and to spend time with and, and to build up because those opportunities will be gone. We need to love more. We need to spend more time. We need to encourage more. We need to say no to some of those other things and yes to those relationships in our life. You realize that that's what God wants us to do with him as well? He wants us to say no to those other things in life and say yes to him. He wants us to accept him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus for us so that we could have that relationship. He wants us to understand how much he loves us. And he wants us to go to him and, and allow us to, to just be wrapped up in his arms, to feel his presence through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to spend that abundant time with us. He wants to encourage us and build us up through his word rather than tearing us down through what, everything that the world has to offer. He wants that to be a part of who we are. He wants that to be who we are. He wants us to accept him and to have that relationship with him. And I don't know if you have that relationship with him. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you've never experienced his love. Maybe you've never confessed your sins and said, you know what? I want my life to be different. God offers you a different life. He offers you a complete life, a life that is a life to the full. 
He says that he will forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west so that we can not just continue to be in the same old patterns of life, but so that we can walk in a new life to put those old things, to put those sinful ways, to put all that behind us so that we can truly walk with him. That's what he wants for us. Because he's, he's very uh, important, what's very important to him is that relationship that we have with him, the relationship that we have with each other. Maybe this morning you have a decision you need to make. It's a, it's a time for you to respond. A time for you to respond to him, a time for you to turn your life over to him. A time for you to get it right. Maybe that's what you need to do today. If you want to talk to someone about a decision that you have, we invite you to make your way over to the cross. We'll meet you there. Stand with me. The band's going to lead us. Let's sing.